Hello, I'm George Middleton. Welcome to Deconstructing Race, a critical thought podcast where we deconstruct race and its social issues like this. A country emerging from protests of pain. After the killing of George Floyd, viral moments of racial bias caught on tape. I'm going to tell you there's an African-American man threatening my life. And the deadly shooting of Ahmaud Arbery. Race, a social construct of chaos, resulting in learned behaviors that can be unlearned by challenging our system of beliefs. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Let's begin. The racial divide between policing and the community. An accident or by design. The following is a passage of research conducted by Dr. Audrey Smedley titled Understanding Race. In the 1860s, slavery ended, but race as social status and the basis of our human identities remained. This important piece of history sets up accurately the context behind the nature of the relationship between policing and the community it serves. Listen to this following piece of history. After the Civil War, the 13th Amendment to the Constitution abolished slavery except as a punishment for a crime. The South immediately moves to exploit this loophole uh, by passing a series of crime bills known as Black Codes, which essentially criminalize all forms of black freedom. They criminalize unemployment by adopting these very broad vagrancy laws that essentially criminalize any black person who can't prove that they're working. Any African-American who challenges the terms of work, barters or brokers for a better deal, turns down a terrible offer, walks away from an abusive employer or a relationship with a landowner, by definition becomes a vagrant and by definition becomes a criminal they could then be sold at sheriff's auction back to the very person who had just claimed that they were a criminal by virtue of not accepting a fair labor deal. This practice of convict leasing earned enormous revenues for the states who lent out their prisoners. 
and huge profits for the companies using this prison labor in mining, railroads, and other industries. The new laws effectively re-enslaved those who had just gained their freedom and required new police to take over the former duties of the slave patrols. When you have black people serving in political offices for the first time, when you have black landowners in abundance, when you have black professionals, there are Reconstruction era judges, the stakes are even higher for this everyday performance of black subservience to white domination. It is the police who will ultimately serve that function of reminding black people, in many cases, their lower status in society. What we see is that that general way of thinking about race and thinking about disorderly people never really changes. It's kind of woven into the DNA. But it's not just because individual police officers are racist. It's because the institution was literally created to make sure that wealthy and powerful people could extract labor. You can create new policy. In this case, the abolishment of slavery. But that didn't change the culture of identifying by skin color. This quote by Peter Drucker, one of the most widely known and influential thinkers on management. Culture eats policy or strategy for breakfast means that no matter how strong your strategic plan is, its efficacy will be held back by members of your team if they don't share the proper culture. When it comes down to it, the people implementing the plan are the ones that make all the difference. The culture of our system of law enforcement historically and present day is one steeped in race ideology. Race ideology impacts the policing and community relationship in several important ways. Police officer well-being, duty and burden, and community encounters. Listen to the following examples that demonstrate the connection between officer well-being and their self-identity through a racial lens, black and white. Implicit bias training, has it worked? Uh, no. You don't think it worked? The training itself, the content, was the absolute worst training I've ever had. These are current Mesa, Arizona police officers. They are both white. We agreed to hide their faces and alter their voices so that they can speak freely and you have to make a decision like that. This is their department's implicit bias training. So there's research um, that has documented implicit biases and they've linked it to ethnicity and race as one. They are taught how to recognize and minimize negative impacts that hidden biases can have on their jobs. People are inclined to stereotype black individuals as more aggressive. It's reinforcing the minority of society that has that blanket opinion about Caucasian males. One of the first videos introduced in that training was reaffirming that you're born a victim if you're a minority. All right, so what do you think the agenda is? Reinforcing that the police are racist, but specifically the white male police are Change what we have done that has worked overwhelmingly effectively. It becomes an officer safety issue, causing officers to second-guess themselves, which is a 
complete change to when we first started. Well, there have been some pretty high-profile incidents here. Robert Johnson getting knocked around. Gabriel Ramirez. Officers squeezed his neck after he was handcuffed. Daniel Shaver on his knees begging for his life in a Mesa hotel room. Caught on video. There is nothing that those officers did that was outside of the training that they had received. That Robert Johnson video, is that what you're taught to do? We're taught to handle the situation. Was that handling the situation or was that excessive force? That was handling the situation. The officer. St. Louis was where a black police officer is speaking out about racial division in the police department. Officer Milton Green was shot by one of his co-workers two years ago. Green is black and the person who shot him is white. Police, police chief Lawrence O'Toole says it was friendly fire, but Green says it was racism and is filing a suit against the St. Louis Police Department. Now folks, let me explain to you exactly what happened here. Uh, a guy uh, had an accident, he was sitting here, then they were chasing him. Uh, Green hears it, grabs his gun badge. He yells, I'm a cop. Cop tells him, put your gun down. Another cop comes along while saying, put your gun down, shoots Green. He has since been on disability, has been unable to use his right arm. The, the uh, white union raised money for the cop who shot him. Green says he has not gotten the kind of support he needs from the police department. And he says it's dead wrong. Now the chief, of course, had disagreed with that. The question is, Ohio, where a black police officer has been, she was fired two years ago for posting comments on her Facebook page, a Facebook live stream, talking about uh, a police beatings in the aftermath of the Alton Sterling shooting uh, in Louisiana. Uh, Nakia, uh, Nakia Jones, this is what she had to say when her son wanted her to know how does she feel as a cop about these shootings. If you are white and you work I got in the black community it. and you are racist, you need to be ashamed of yourself. You stood up there and took an oath. If this is not where you want to work at, then you need to take your behind somewhere else. I decided to work in the African-American community because I'm African-American and I wanted to make a difference. I'm a double minority. They would have got two hits for me because I'm African-American and I'm a female. I'm here because I wanted to make a difference. But how dare you stand next to me in the same uniform and murder somebody? How dare you? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. So why don't we just keep it real? If you're that officer, then no good and well you got a God complex. You're afraid of people that don't look like you. You have no business in that uniform. Take it off. If you're afraid to go and talk to an African-American female or a male or a Mexican male or female, then because they're not white like you, take the uniform off. You have no business being a police officer. Because there's many of us that will give our life for anybody. And we took this oath and we meant it. If you are that officer that's prejudiced, take the uniform off and put the KKK hoodie on. Because I will not stand for that. If you're an officer that works with me and you're wrong, I will tell you you're wrong. My heart goes out to that young man's family. Because if it was my son, I don't know what I would do. I am my brother and my sister's keeper. That's why I'm going to keep this uniform on. Because today I wanted to quit when I saw that video. 
But I need for y'all to support the ones of us that are right. And I need for you to stand for those of us that are, that are not right. The average police officer will most likely identify by skin color and see others through color, black and white. The beliefs associated with color may look like or be associated with implicit bias and will govern the totality of the officer's thinking and interaction with the community. Implicit bias, however, is not the same as a racial belief system and will do nothing to override it. This belief system sets the average officer up for failure as evidenced by the previous examples. The average officer's perception of safety and ability to do their job efficiently is in question. This negative perception of safety and efficiency directly impact the officer in the area of duty and burden. The officer must now account for the risk associated with the overwhelming number of incidents bringing national attention to law enforcement and its real or perceived disproportionate treatment of racial groups, specifically blacks. Race enhances this risk potential for officer vulnerability. Community Encounters Here is where the community plays a contributing role in this aspect of dysfunction in relating to our police officers. Intolerance. I understand they put their life on the lines, but us as black men, we feel like every time we get stopped, we're putting our life on the line too. 18-year-old Marquise Watts is a junior at Mather High School and a youth leader in Voice, a youth organizing alliance focused on education and racial justice. He joined five months ago after the shooting death of his friend and fellow Voice leader, Caleb Breed. It's a lot of traumatic experience we go through, especially as young people. He feels empowered now that he's found a way to channel his anger into action, working to better his community but he still has hesitation when it comes to police. I'm not really comfortable with police because just being who I am, you know, a black kid with dreads, it's automatically you're discriminated against. I heard uh, many of my black friends have said when they get stopped, they don't know what to do. They just freeze because they don't want to make the wrong move. And that's the same thing whether you're driving or walking. And that's just with the sight of a police officer, not a police officer stopping me. Mm-hmm. In a study on decision-making under stress by the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, the following is noted. The ability to cope with stress is dependent upon an individual's perception or interpretation of an event. In addition, stressful circumstances do not automatically lead to problems in judgment. It is the perceived experience of stress. Race can negatively distort the perception of people and events. Dr. Bryant T. Marks, a leading figure in the area of diversity and inclusion and implicit bias training, points out issues of perception in particular as it pertains to police and the black male. The series is, is called Bias by Us. Uh, meaning that all human beings have bias in various forms and it takes various shapes. 
Now, you know, given what's happening, we're talking about we're going to focus in on the bias between law enforcement and a black community. So myth busting, uh, the impact of misperceptions of bias on the relationship between police and African-Americans. I am Reverend Dr. Bryant Marks, um, senior uh, chief equity officer and lead trainer at the National Training Institute on Race and Equity, known as Entire, and a tenured professor of psychology at Morehouse College in Atlanta. All right, so let's go and get into it, folks. Um, I want to give you a bit of uh, a context. It's one thing to have beliefs, have experiences, have emotions. It's another thing to ha actually have access to the data and solid information. And so in this series, the myth-busting series under Bias by Us, um, I'm going to, each video will address a particular myth. So this myth is that only police, uh, only police hold negative stereotypes of black males. That actually is not true. Okay. Now the impact of police holding these biases can be significant. And in some cases, uh, um, lead to somebody losing their life. Uh, but it's bigger than that. So let's go ahead and dig in. Now, oh, let me, before I show you this, all right. Uh, so when we do our training, so I train all across the country. I trained over 30,000 police officers across the country, touched over 2,000 police departments. I've done uh, training for the White House, the Department of Justice, Department of Education. So I've been around the country. Uh, we have a national footprint. And in our trainings, a lot are with police officers. Some are with prosecutors, probation, corrections. So we do a lot of work with criminal justice. But when we have our trainings of police officers, uh, we ask them certain questions. And we, certain questions through a polling system where they respond in real time on their devices in the room. Okay, so I'm gonna show you the results. I'm gonna show you the question and then the results um, that we ask pretty commonly in our law enforcement trainings. So the question is, when Americans think of young black males, what words or phrases come to mind? Now, remember, I said that we all have certain biases. Now. Um, these biases play out differently depending on our roles, but the notion is um, this question that we're putting here, I actually ask this not only to law enforcement, but to everybody else, doctors, nurses, public defenders, black men, everybody in our trainings, we usually ask this question. Okay, So I'm going to show you some results from a particular group of respondents um, and the results I'm about, actually, why don't you do this right now in your own head? When Americans think of young black males, what words, traits, phrases, characteristics do you think come to mind? Just go with your gut, just sort of what comes to mind, right? So I'm gonna show you some results and then we'll break this down. All right, so now these, what you see here are typical. As you can see, just go ahead and peruse, go through all the ones, go across, you know, so as you'll, you'll conclude about 90% of them are negative, maybe 5% neutral, 5% positive. Most popular answers given, dangerous, criminal, aggressive, thug, angry. Okay, so we ask this question because we want to understand how people perceive that society views young black males, right? So that's why we do this. We do this with everyone. Uh, so a couple of things, though. So looking at this, these traits, go ahead and look at it. Take it all in. I know it's a little heavy. Take it all in. Okay, folks, these are the typical responses. The top five answers, we've done this over 700 times. The top five answers that we receive across the country, dangerous, thug, criminal, rapper, athlete. Those are your top five across the country, right? We've done this many, many times. At this point, you should be able to clearly see the connection between the perception of police by the community and the perception of the community by police. These two divergent perspectives are consistently on a predictable collision course.
Why? Because we are trying to address the behavior without first addressing the belief. This is where initiatives such as diversity and inclusion training and implicit bias training fall short. Bias is a reflection of belief. Enter race ideology, the social construct of identity by skin color. Race and culture are not the same. Race and diversity are not the same. Race and bias are not the same. The title of the podcast topic today is The Racial Divide, not the cultural divide, not the diversity divide. Race must solely be addressed in order to effectively improve the relationship between the community and law enforcement. Current strategies in addressing the racial divide, however, do not employ this paradigm of thought. Diversity and inclusion, implicit bias, and anti-racism workshops and trainings attempt to address race in tandem. Diversity is not the problem. Implicit bias is not the problem. Race is the problem. When we talk about diversity training, we usually refer to any instructional program aimed at helping people with different backgrounds and attributes work together more effectively. Such programs have existed for a long time. However, there is a lot of confusion about their effectiveness. In a study on this very issue, a meta-analysis was conducted across 260 of the most rigorous studies in this area, comprised of experimental, quasi-experimental, and pre-post designs. Here's what they found. Three things define our interactions with others who are different from us. Our knowledge, our attitudes, and our actions. Diversity training has a positive effect on all three elements, but in different ways. Right after the training, people change their beliefs and behaviors to some extent, but they acquire even more in terms of knowledge. As time passes, people will remember the new knowledge, but their beliefs and behaviors tend to revert back to how they were before the training. The study asked the question, why does the effect of the training course persist for knowledge but fades for beliefs and behaviors? The answer lies in what happens around us after diversity training. We might come across news or stories which remind us of what we have learned in diversity training and these connections keep the information fresh in our mind. But then when we try to make sense of these stories, we tend to see them in the light of our previous beliefs about the topic. They note that it is generally harder to change beliefs because they are strongly linked to our emotions and our self-identity. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And therein lies the strategic flaw. For race is an ideology of belief, of identity by skin color. There is a way, an effective way, for law enforcement and for the community, both of which are vulnerable to the adverse impact of race ideology, to take intentional and proactive control of the underlying causes proven to contribute to this national issue. We will need to change our thinking, however, on this issue to get different results. We will need to address our belief system. So, what did we learn today? One, we learned that race as social status was created with the advent of slavery, but did not end with the abolishment of slavery. Two, we learned that today's system of law enforcement was birthed on the creation and employment of slave patrols. And three, we learned that policy change without genuine culture change is no policy change at all. The solution? A collaborative process between policing and the community of racial deconstruction. This is not a police issue, nor is it a community issue. It's a relationship issue between police and the community, hindered by race. Let's stop repeating the definition of insanity, doubling down on proven ineffective methods. To effectively address behaviors, you must start with the beliefs behind them. I am available for consultation in this important effort. Please continue to follow the podcast. And together, let's deconstruct race.